0: So I found myself in a dilemma last week. After I had read the gospel for the morning, I began to ponder that scripture that was from Luke about the presentation and the circumcision. It said this at the very end. Luke writes this, When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Here's my dilemma. I pondered that, and I said, now, wait a minute, Luke. What about the Magi? What about Herod's slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem? What about their flight to Egypt and their return? Why don't you include these things, Luke? I'm pondering. What's the timing on this? I began to wonder. Circumcision would have happened on eight days, and that probably would have been local in Bethlehem. The presentation would have taken place at 40 days. We celebrate Epiphany, the coming of the wise men on the 12th day of Christmas. That's its tradition. So where does all this fit, and how does all this work out? And they have to go to Egypt, and they have to leave, and then they have to come back. And I began to just sit there and wonder how it all fits together. I knew that Luke's tradition was that we believe he interviewed Mary for all of the insight and the things that he knew about the Annunciation, all the other things that we celebrate at Christmas. And I couldn't believe that Mary would leave out the details of the Magi coming and of their flight to Egypt. So what was going on? And like it is any time I run up against a spiritual dilemma, I know that what I must do is go back and begin to search the scriptures, to pull out all my commentaries, to look in different places, and to figure out what it is that I'm missing. Because I know the scriptures are true. They don't contradict each other. So what is it that I need to find out? And I began my research research. And I remember during that research that Luke and Matthew are both writing at different times. They're also writing to very different audiences. Matthew writes sometime in 50 AD, Luke around 70 AD. Matthew is writing to a Jewish church, the church that has emerged, the church that now has begun to follow Jesus, the Messiah. Luke is writing to a Gentile church, to churches who have come in because of Paul's missionary journeys, to give them information and background on things that are happening and who Jesus is. Matthew also is interested in portraying Jesus as the new Moses. Remember the prophecy that one greater than Moses would rise. Matthew writing to this Jewish audience wants them to understand that Jesus was that greater prophet. emerged on the scene. And like the story of Moses, Matthew then includes the slaughter of the innocents. Remember back when Moses was born, the Pharaoh ordered an edict that all the newborn children in the land of Egypt should be killed and they rescued Moses by putting him in a basket that he might be saved by the daughter of Pharaoh. Well, this story was a precursor of what we see with Jesus and with Herod seeking to kill the child. That wouldn't resonate the same way with Luke's audience as it would with Matthew's Jewish audience. They would understand that history. They would know what it was all about. They would understand the parallels with Moses. But Matthew also is doing something that Luke isn't doing in his gospel. Matthew is contrasting various things for us to look at and to see He's contrasting an earthly rule of Herod and the people surrounding him versus Jesus, the Messiah, the King, and his rule. He's contrasting the earthly power of Herod versus the vulnerability of a small, helpless child. He's contrasting Herod who governs with fear and deceit and murder versus the Messiah who has come to rule his kingdom in justice And in truth and mercy. And he's contrasting the history of Jerusalem, where the wise men first went, and its history of its kings, and that lineage of the kings, and how horrible it was for Israel, and all the atrocities that the kings of Israel had done, versus Bethlehem, the city of David, the origin of David, where the Messiah would come. One of Matthew's themes in all of this is ignorance. Ignorance of all the people that surround this Christmas, this epiphany narrative. The ignorance of those magi who were seeking the king of the Jews, who didn't know what they would find, knew to follow a star, but had no idea where the star would lead them or what this king would be like. Ignorance also of all those surrounding Herod in his court and his council who were ignorant of all of the things that were happening and taking place, who never saw the star and never saw the signs of the times around them. Now I continue to use the word magi because the words often that we use to describe these visitors from the east as kings or as wise men are not terms that we find in the Bible. They're terms that came later in life. In fact, the terms, the kings, came around the 6th century AD and the term wise men around the 8th century AD. The the term for magi we find in the Old Testament when Daniel was serving in the kingdom and he had to come up against the wise men who served the king who in their wisdom could not interpret the dreams. And Daniel was the one who was allowed to interpret and reveal for the king what his dreams meant. Matthew's audience, as they would hear this story of the Magi coming, would be shocked. They would be shocked because it would be something that they would never have expected. Why would those who did not worship Yahweh come to find Jesus? They came from nations who in the past had been aligned together and who were hostile to Israel. Why would they enter Israel's countryside? And they were also those who were associated with magic, the occult and supernatural powers. Why would they come to find the Messiah of Israel? Matthew draws a contrast between these magi who come not knowing what they will find, who come not sure, who follow a star against the backdrop of those simple Jewish shepherds, who when the angels told them where Messiah was born, came to worship in adoration. Yes, the magi followed an astronomical sign and that interpreted to them that the king of the Jews had had been born, but they didn't know who he truly was. And yes, they had showed earthly homage by presenting their gifts of gold, and frankincense, and myrrh, but those were common gifts that would be given to any king. They weren't unique to Jesus. And I say all this because I think a lot of times we give more credit to these kings And by giving more credit to these kings, wise men, magi, as those words have crept into our vocabulary, we also forget what it means to come to faith, what Paul's talking about in this mystery that has been given to us. What do I mean exactly? A lot of times we hear these magis were seekers of wisdom and we then say all who really truly seek true wisdom who have knowledge who look for the important things in life and who seek the truth will on their own find eventually jesus or we say of their gifts that they were symbolic of the life of christ that gold and frankincense and myrrh had meaning for jesus death and his resurrection and the things that would happen and that these Wise men, these kings, these magi had great knowledge of the future of this king. But none of those things is true. You see, Matthew's theme throughout his gospel is this. No one can apprehend who Jesus is. No one can understand who he is unless it is revealed to them by God himself. We see that theme of revelation again and again throughout Matthew's Gospel, including in the narrative of the Nativity. Joseph was one who had to have it revealed to him who Jesus truly was, that he was from the Holy Spirit, that he would be the Savior of the world. Joseph couldn't interpret or understand it on his own. Herod's counsel had no idea and no clue that was going on and it took the scriptures to reveal to them once more that this king would be born in Bethlehem and who he was the Messiah you remember as you go forward in Matthew's gospel to Peter's confession when Jesus asked the question who do men say I am Peter responds you are the Messiah the son of God Do you remember Jesus' response to Peter? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. People come upon Jesus in Matthew's Gospel again and again, and they do not know and understand who He truly is or what His kingship is all about. And it is Matthew who includes in the very end The Great Commission, go therefore into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, revealing to the nations who Jesus, the true Messiah, is. Revelation, a theme that occurs again and again, that God is the one who reveals to the hearts of men who Jesus Christ truly is. You know, there's an old urban legend story, maybe you've heard it before, that goes like this. There was a division chair at a liberal college who was going to address a crowd on the historical resurrection. He took some time that morning going through various books, citing different authors, to prove and to say that the historical resurrection was indeed not a fact, But it was, in fact, something that the church on its own had contrived through emotional mumbo-jumbo. That Jesus had never risen from the dead in a literal sense. It could not be proven and that the church should stop putting forth this message. The legend goes on to say that then the professor asked if there were any questions. And in the audience, an elderly man stood up with a lunch sack in his hand. And he said to him, Professor, I simply have one question for you. He reached into his lunch sack and pulled out an apple and began to eat it. He said to him, I don't know those authors that you've cited today. I've never read their books. And I can't read the scriptures in their original languages of Hebrew and Greek. I don't know the men personally that you cited or their background or what they had. And he finished the apple He said, I just have one question for you, professor. This apple that I just ate, did it taste sweet or did it taste bitter? The professor glared at him for asking such an inane question, he thought, and he responded to him, how would I know I have never tasted your apple? To which the man is said to have replied, neither, professor, have you tasted My Jesus. And the crowd is said to have gone wild at that response. You see, there are many in our world that have never tasted Jesus. And no amount of wisdom or spiritual events or advanced knowledge can let them ever see the light of Jesus Christ. As the Old Testament said, there is great darkness in our world that rests upon our minds and our hearts. And only one thing can reveal to mankind who Jesus the Messiah truly is. Only the Spirit and His Word can bring light into the hearts and minds of men. We, His church, live for that one purpose. Paul reminds us of that when he said, we continue to make known the mystery and the wisdom of Christ to a darkened world. Remember what Paul says that the message of the cross is foolishness to the world, but it is wisdom to those who are being saved. Wisdom that comes to us from a gracious God who wishes to reveal to all people who this Messiah truly is and why he has come into this world. It is so fitting as we begin this year that we are reminded once again of this fact that our calling as the people of God is to continue to bring this truth to people that their hearts might be revealed to see the true Messiah, the Christ of God. Because on their own, they will never know, and they will never hear, and they will never find him. Just as all those surrounding this nativity story could not comprehend unless God had revealed it to them. May we ever be vigilant. May we ever be true. May we ever remember the grace that we have been shown through the power of God's Word and His Spirit, that we, through our hearts, may burn also for those who do not know and have the comfort and peace and hope that we find in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you came into this world to be a revelation. A revelation of God's plan, a revelation of God's will, a revelation of God's love, of his mercy, of his forgiveness. All of these things you have given us in your word and by your spirit. May we who have been called by this same gospel continue to be people who reach to those around us, knowing that they must hear and that hearing your spirit may work in their hearts to turn them to see your love and your grace once more. Make us ever vigilant. And make us ever diligent in our task to worship, to praise, and to go from this place emboldened by you to reach those in darkness. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.